This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker, and we have a very interesting and completely different meeting, interview, discussion today with two individuals, not just one. We have a team going, and it's a family team, and we're going to be talking, fasten your seatbelts, about sexual abuse in the family. And these folks are on it. They are comfortable talking about this. Of course, we're not going to get really personal, but we're going to get down to what the deal was in terms of kind of what they experienced as a family and how they began to do the healing as a family. So the two people are joining us are Rebecca Shaper and Kim Shaper. And Rebecca is a person who's been on with us. She was on Core Brain Journal 218, and we were talking about her brother. And she had a schizophrenic brother, and we talked about that in great detail at that. And you can go back and listen to that if you want to. And Kim, this is the first time I've met Kim. Welcome, Kim and Rebecca. Look forward to talking to you guys. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to it, too. Thank you, Dr. Parker. So here's what we're going to do. These guys are from Atlanta, by the way. You'll hear that beautiful accent coming out a little bit. So a word from our sponsor is Core Brain Journal is supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved targeted mind science details. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond guesswork, which is so often the practice today. They also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and those other medical providers on how they can use that biomedical data effectively in their office. Check out their website for references and testing details and take note. You can register for a complimentary test drawing. And if you go over to this website, I'm going to give you in just a second there, giving away a series of different tests every week. So you want to go in there and register if you can. And the website where you can do that is Great Plains Laboratory, all one word, no dots, greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal. Thanks again, Great Plains, for being with us on this project. So I'm going to start with mom, and then we're going to go ahead and talk about Kim. So Rebecca is an author, filmmaker, philanthropist, and mental health advocate. So with Kyle Tequila, she co-directed and executive produced the award-winning documentary, A Sister's Call, about her mission to bring her brother, Carl Richmond Jr., back from the depths of homelessness and schizophrenia. This is what we interviewed her back about several, several months ago. So the book that she wrote in this regard was The Light in His Soul, Lessons from My Brother's Schizophrenia. It was a very, very interesting interview and a very uh, hopeful, engaging story. Then her daughter, Kimmer, also down, and I am say Kimmer being somewhat familiar when I don't, I don't really know her. Uh, but Kim is, uh, down, lives down in Atlanta as well, and she is, had a number of different experiences, and I'm really looking forward to hearing, Kim, about this this experience with your work with Seth Oberst, because mm-hmm. I never, I hadn't heard about him, and it's going to be interesting. 
but she feels that in her recovery, she was the individual who was abused, that the best treatment by far for her recovery was work with a gentleman named Seth Oberst. He's helped, this is her words, he's helped me immensely by our hands-on working together, which has allowed me to feel safe and secure in her own body. She's learned how to self-regulate and relinquish the feelings of fear and rigidity that have held her back for decades. She believes that her system became dysregulated and held on to the trauma, therefore altering the control of her own behavioral responses and her perception of herself as a human being. She got really seriously stuck. So we're going to be talking about this, and we'll go on from there. That's a brief intro. These guys are going to be talking more about it. There's so many different aspects of way to Let's get started with just the basics, okay? Other people have had the whole issue of sexual molestation in the family. So the question is, let's just start at the beginning. How did this first come up, and what did you decide to do about it when it first came up? I guess we should start with Rebecca on that. Okay. It first happened when my husband and I pulled Kim out of college for eating disorder, and when she was in therapy is when I found out that my father was sexually abused. I will never forget that day. My heart just sank. I felt sick at my stomach. Kim fell to the floor when we were in the therapy room. I just felt like I can't even describe the feeling. Mm -hmm. It was the worst feeling I have ever felt. So then at that point, I walked to the parking lot got in my car and I called my husband and I told him he was at the airport and he missed three of his flights because mm. he was so stunned. And that was the longest drive back home that I've ever had. Mm. And that's when we first found out when Kim was 19. 19 years old. So Kim, that must have been terrible keeping that secret all along. Yeah, of course. So, you know, first off, thank you so much for having us on here. I'm just so excited to be here. But yes, absolutely. So, you know, if I can give a, a quick little backstory, I always knew that there was something troubling going on from a very young age. Um, the, the sexual abuse had occurred probably between seven and 11. During that time, I always knew something was off. I couldn't pinpoint it. I would just do very uh, bizarre things that a typical child at that age would not engage in. I was very depressed really alone. And my mom can even speak for this too. And at that time, I obviously, I didn't know the magnitude of what was going on or how inappropriate it was. I just thought at that age that that's what was supposed to happen. And I truly believe I suppressed a lot for a very long period. And hands down, I would say the number one reason why I developed an eating disorder was mainly because of my trauma. If I go back to I, I've been kind of all over the board with my eating disorders. Um, I've been bulimic. I've been purged. I've done like excessive exercise. I've been anorexic. I've done fitness competitions. I've done triathlons, everything I could just to kind of numb out is my addiction. And so at the time when I was anorexic, I now looking back, I wholeheartedly believe that during that period, I was angry. It was as though I was trying to get back at my parents and I was trying to essentially re 
relive childhood through becoming emaciated. So, you know, during all of that time is when things really started to surface and come to light. And that's what my mom was saying when we were in therapy, just especially disorder. And I remember um, when Kim was, when we moved from Minneapolis to Atlanta, when she was in the second grade, we were in a rental house until our other house was being built. And I remember finding her in the middle of the road, laying down. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what is going on here? And I remember her teacher coming to me and, and saying, do you realize that Kim is not taking baths? And I looked at her and I thought, what are you talking about? I mean, I was actually angry for her to approach me because I had no clue what was going on. I thought it was because we were moving from Minneapolis to Atlanta that she was exhibiting those mm -hmm. type of She was traumatized, yep. Yeah. And um, Dr. Parker, I, I spoke to my mother at length about this prior to getting on the, the call with you. And I'm actually just going to go ahead and come forth and say it, even though this has been something that's been troubling me for a very long time. And I feel like I've been able to work through it. One of the reasons why I was so hesitant about opening up and sharing what was going on for such a long period of time was because what was going on to me was essentially what I was trying to replicate with others. So I would, and again, I, you know, this is kind of hard for me to say this. However, I feel like it needs to be talked about. So there's no shame involved. But at, at that very young age, when I was around, I would say probably when I was around seven or eight, I would babysit these two twins across the street. I remember taking like the Mr. Potato Head and inserting things into the girl's vagina and like just doing things that was very abnormal for a child my age. And I, I didn't understand. I couldn't figure out why I was doing that. And I remember that to this day. And there's so much guilt around that for hopefully that they don't remember because it, it was awful. And I just, again, like my mom had said, there's just so much depression around all of this. And I do feel like yeah, I just, I can't explain it, but does that make sense? Yeah, let me address that real quickly. Now, let mm -hmm. me put my psychoanalyst hat on for just a second, okay? Yeah, please do. Because there's a <laughs> dynamic here, and that is you were traumatized by somebody that you cared about who was familiar to you on some level. Mm -hmm. So then he took advantage of you and, you know, was exploring your body, whatever he was doing. The details are not that relevant, but the point is that you were, in fact, traumatized. So you were in with that human being in a passive state of receiving a traumatic event that confused you and upset you. So you were passive. Now what happens is if you take it away from that on the sexual level and just think about a young girl being in a dentist chair, take it away from sex and put it into dentistry. So the girl is in the dentist chair and the dentist is drilling away and she's got a couple of cavities and the noise is going and the smell is there and the water and everything. And what happens is she, she comes out after an hour, hour and a half, two hours in the dentist chair. What does a young person do? Boy or girl, it's not necessarily uh, gender specific. Is frequently they will then take a doll and drill the doll and do the, be the dentist with the doll. Mm. Because what they're doing is they're turning the passive experience of trauma and not being safe into active mastery. So I'm not in the passive situation. I'm in the active situation. And they're actually in the process of being active, mastering the fear by acting it out from an active point of view as opposed to a passive point of view. Very interesting. That so, is very interesting. That, that happens 
with a lot of individuals who've been sexually abused because they express that abuse later on in life in a number of different ways, including promiscuity and whatever. I mean, I've had, I had one woman I worked with who was a very interesting, great gal and was so direct about the whole situation, but she happened to be a Jewish person and she had been abused in her early life. And she then found one day in a bar a German guy. She heard him speaking German, and she wound up seducing him and having sex with him. And while she was having sex with him, she was thinking, this is what you get for what you did to the Jews. Hmm. Now, she was having sex with him, but she was actually thinking, you idiot. You know, there's no way in the Dickens you will ever have me on any kind of an emotional level. And I am punishing you through this because there is no way in the Dickens you can ever have the connection you may wish to have with me. And she was actually, in her own mind, punishing him, even though from a male's perspective, he was not receiving punishment. But I think it's an important thing to know that that is exactly what was going on in her mind, which parallels it may not have been that that direct for you and your experience, but that is parallels what others do experience is I'm, I'm going to get even and you think you're being seductive with me, buddy. I'm going to be seductive with you. I'm going to make you eat it right here and I'm going to make you suffer the way I suffered and, and you're going to suffer with the trauma that I've had. So that's turning the answer. Yeah. Son is that she wanted ultimate control. Yeah, wanted control. I think mastery, I think control is one thing. Control, then to really be careful about that is control of herself and self-management of self. She was seeking some way to manage the trauma. Right. This was a derivative way for her to manage the trauma by taking a less passive situation and taking a more active situation. It's kind of like practicing basketball. I mean, I don't want to be frivolous about it, but it's like if you do it a little more, then somehow you're going to feel a little safer and, and be less scared and less frightened and, and you'll know yourself better. Of course, that isn't what happens because there's so much shame and, and unhappiness that, that comes out of it. And then other people may experience trauma as well in that situation. But that's kind of what it is. It's the active passive situation. That's not the only part of it, but that's part of it. And I'd like to add this to, for some reason, when Kim turned 18, I told her what happened to me. Unbeknownst to me, I had no idea what had happened to her. So, so you had been abused yourself? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's, I mean, we didn't put, quite put that on the table. Sorry to bother you with this. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> so it, I, it did happen to you as well. I, the question entered my mind, if he was using her in that regard, did he use you as well? But I didn't want to ask you because I wanted to keep the propriety going. I didn't want to be intrusive in any way. Yes, it was my father who abused both of us. Mm. So. Oh, gosh. Okay, so then what happened? So now we're actually, Kim, my vision of you being on the floor in therapy in there just is terrible, you know, that you would just be so overwhelmed and feel terrible about it because at that time you probably didn't know that your mother had been abused as well. So you were doubly ashamed. No, she knew. Oh, she didn't know. Yeah, she was, I told her when she was 18 and then she, Correct me if I'm wrong, Kim. You were 19 when all this surfaced, correct? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe that was the impetus to help her open up her wounds as well. I don't know. You know Kim, what were you going to say there? 
I think I felt more comfortable knowing that my mom had opened up about it, that I felt safe doing so as well. So I think that was the biggest piece. And I did, I I chose to wait for quite some time. And obviously once I was in therapy and I got, I was able to really hone in on what had happened. I was able to finally verbalize that to my mother. Wow. I mean, that must've been to think of you being in that situation. So then let's take the next step because both of you then have a, you've come together as women having experienced this situation with this guy. So what did you do next? What happened next? Yeah. So I'll speak for myself and then mom will let you talk. He had actually committed suicide before I had told my mother. So he was not alive at the time I I told her. Mm -hmm. So I think for him, maybe it was like an easy way out. I don't know. But for me, again, I I go back to the issue with my eating disorder and, and that was a a huge catalyst to that as well as just like a lot of emotional trauma and PTSD stuff and whatnot. So I had worked through my eating disorder for 10 plus years. And that's kind of what had happened with me if I'm being somewhat general. Mom, what Mm -hmm. about you? I remember I confronted my father when he was alive. Mm. Why did he abuse me? Because I wanted to understand why. Mm-hmm. And he never took it. And at that time, I had no idea he had abused Kim. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, he never took accountability for it. Mm-hmm. So that point, I knew I had to take responsibility and empower myself. I was not going to let that defeat me. So he didn't apologize. He didn't take any responsibility. No. He, he just, he let it and go. Then, yeah. And then I'd say probably a couple of months later, that's when he died by suicide. He started out, he started thinking about it and yep. yeah, so you yep. could see what happened. You know, he treated my mom like he was his wife, which was really sad because her own mother had a lot of trauma going on. And, and to this day, my mother and I talk if, if he had sexually assaulted or abused his own wife, just because of the magnitude that what had occurred between my mother and I. Mm -hmm. And it was just a very bizarre dynamic. And again, because my mom's mother was sick, she overdosed on drugs and alcohol. So she died as well. But I think, you know, my mom took on the role of being the mother figure and the wife and everything within that family. So she Mm -hmm. took on a lot. What a burden. And then you had the brother. Was he schizophrenic when you were younger? Refresh me on that. When he went to college, that's mm-hmm. when it happened. When he was uh, 20, 21, that's when the psychotic episodes started. But, you know, I would like to say this, that through all the challenges and trauma within my family, it has allowed me to have a lot of compassion and love. I chose that. I, had, I decided to go deep within myself to really understand where my father was coming from. He was abused as well. Mm -hmm. Trust me, I am not condoning this, this horrific act, Mm -hmm. but I had to go within myself to forgive him and to forgive him what he did to me and to my daughter as well. So that it didn't Um, eat you up for the rest of your life. You you, you, you had to decide whether you're just going to go ahead and have the, the rot or whether you're going to move on from the rot. Exactly. I chose to have go on. I had to live my life with gusto. I wasn't going to allow it to defeat me. And that was my journey. Well, this comes down, Kimmer, to the question of the beginning where we started talking about the gentleman who helped you out so much. Now, I don't know him or of his work. 
And the two questions I want to ask you, was he a direct help in overcoming the sexual trauma or was he working with the sexual trauma and the bulimia? How did all yes. that package come together? Sure. So great question. So in a nutshell, I'm, I'm 39 now. And from the age of 19 to probably about 32, I was heavily engaged in my eating disorder behaviors. And during that time, I was in and out of eight different treatment centers. So by the time I was on my final stint of treatment centers, and again, I was in there for eating disorder stuff, depression, just, you know, suicide, ideation, and just severe, severe depression and anxiety. So for kind of like a host of things, and it wasn't until my final rehab stint that instead of specifically focusing on the eating piece, we focused a ton on the PTSD and the anxiety and all of that. And I was able to really work through that. And I think that was a very pivotal moment for me. Mm-hmm. That was at the age of 33 and I was inpatient for three months. And mm-hmm. I actually met Seth about a year and a half ago and I was having a lot of pain in my body. And it was, um, I was having like hip pain, knee pain, joint pain. And he's actually a, had a doctorate in physical therapy. And my husband had actually told me about him. He said, Kim, you need to go see Seth. And I said, well, what, like, what does he do? And he's like, I can't explain it. You know, he has his doctorate in physical therapy, but, but you just need to go see him. And so I'm thinking, all right, whatever. And I was also having anxiety. I mean, my anxiety has never really subsided. It has to some extent, but I'll be perfectly transparent. For a long time, I was on at least a total of 17 different medications. And so I was so over-medicated for so long and I was so numbed out that I think that was the only way to alleviate some of my anxiety, but I felt like a walking zombie. And now I can say I'm only on a few medications and at the lowest dose and I feel amazing just because I'm, again, not so over-medicated. So anyways, um, I went to go see Seth again because I was just having anxiety and my body was hurting. And I'll never forget forget like a year and a half ago, I was laying on this table and he goes, Kim, I just, I have to let you know, like, I don't do stretching and I don't do this or I don't do that. He goes, I'm very different than a physical, I mean, than an average physical therapist. And I said, okay. And so he goes, do you mind if I put my hand on your kidney? And I thought, okay. And he's like, all I want you to do, and he elevated my feet and it's like a tabletop position. He had a box underneath me. And he goes, all I want you to do is take some big, deep breaths. And he goes, I just want you to try to relax the best that you can. And he goes, I'm going to, we're going to slowly work on some pelvic tilts and do some of these things. And I just lost it. I broke down and I was crying. So, and I'm like, what? I was so embarrassed. I'm like, what is going on? Why am I crying right now? Like, I don't even know you. And I guess, you know, maybe I was in a vulnerable position and he goes, Kim, this is totally normal. He said, your body, you don't realize how much trauma you have stored in your body. Your body remembers. And he, you know, he told me about this book called the body keeps score. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, you know, the body, it does keep score. And he goes, you're, you've just conditioned yourself and you're your body to hold on to this trauma. And so he works a ton with the vagus nerve and how that correlates with our nervous system and how it creates pain in the body. And so he's just been fascinating. I call him my alien. Oh, alien. Yeah, because he's like an alien. He's like from a different planet and he's so, so good at what he does. And I can't explain it, but just the way he has me move and the way he has me relax my system, I can't tell you 
that by far has been better than any cognitive behavioral therapy I've ever done. And I don't, I think it's just maybe because the way, again, the way my nervous system's relaxed in that specific state and the way that we work through things together, I'm able to identify more of my boundaries and what triggers certain things within me based on his positioning or how he does certain movements for me. But he has really transformed my life. Like, yeah. And I can testify that I've seen a huge difference in Kim. And honestly, I have to be, therapy was not for me. Well, you know, I think one of the things, you know, Rebecca, that happens, and Kim, you may be familiar with this as well. It's interesting to me, having having worked in the business for quite a while, and hence, and I, I, I was an executive medical director of a large inpatient unit for a long period of time. And people would come in there who had had different kinds of sexual abuse. And one of the thoughts that came up was when I first got there, they had a a technique of dealing with this. And that is, okay, just get it out of your system. We're going to do this. They jokingly call it the cathartic theory of mental health, which is really, (laughs) Freud threw that out before 1900, friends, I'm telling you. So people say, Freud, the idea that you could just get it out of your system. Uh, there, and uh, there was another person named uh, Albert Ellis was into this. And there was another person, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name right now. It's been a long time since I've been involved with psychoanalysis. But the idea is that you've got this poison, this humor running around through your body that has some kind of bile or foam or whatever. <laughs> and <if> you, <laughs> And if you just get it out, you're going to be in great shape. So now that you're in this safe place, this hospital, well, you can just take your brain and unzip it and just have it all pour out and you'll be relieved. It's going to be like, you know, going to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, it does not work that way. It does not work that way. And this woman had come in and she was in, a, in another hospital system and she said, that what they did was she had been gang raped by you know a oh, motorcycle man. gang. And they had her go through the entire situation in front. And it was a group of women. There were no men involved. But she actually lived the whole situation through again and was actually re-traumatized. You know, so oh, she, absolutely. She yeah. was not getting better. She yeah. was getting worse. She came in to see me. I said, listen, first of all, I'm not even going to talk to you about this experience with whatever happened with them. That's that's not on my agenda. Okay, we're not going to go through that. What we're going to do is get you glued together and get this thing pieced together and figure out how you're going to reconstruct your life. And we're going to look forward. And, you know, if something comes up that's derivatively associated. I know a lot more about it now than I did then. But we were being respectful and really taught everybody that we're not going to do unzipping and cathartic theory in here. We're just not going to get this was not an unzipping process, it was a zipping up process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and we're just going to, and we're not going to put people in vulnerable spots like that. You know, that's not part of the cure. And I have to tell you guys, you would be interested. I I don't have, because I didn't really know uh, until we got into this conversation that the body keeps score. We've had several people that we've interviewed who are very strong proponents of that particular method of care. And I'm sorry, I don't have them prepared. I'll have them in the show notes because I'll look them up by the time I do the show notes. But it's very interesting, and I and I, actually, I would love to have um, Seth on as, oh, be as well because I think it'd be very useful because you get a guy who's so experienced like that. Now, let me ask you a question that's coming up in some of the listeners' mind. I know it's in mine, so it's got to be in somebody else's. When he was doing this, my thought when he put his hands on you right there, mm-hmm. being a stranger, even though he's a professional person, and he's thinking about putting his 
hand in what would ordinarily not be a big private area. I mean, it's your backside where your kidney is. Give, you know, give me a break. But it's still personal and it's still an intrusion. Mm-hmm. And the thought I thought was, okay, she's reliving on some level the business of being violated on some level, even though, because I've had, I've had women patients, you know, well, I, I'll maybe grab their elbow as they go out the door and they'll like, just, they'll have a reaction because that level of intimacy, like I'm making a point, I hear something to think about, like, whoa, whoa, mm-hmm. because yeah. I didn't know that that was an issue for them. So that whole thing of, was the sexual abuse in that discussion with him or was it more, was that part of what he was doing with you when he was, when he was working with you in that trauma? Actually, no, he had no idea I had any sort of trauma whatsoever, no sexual trauma. And so he asked me, he's like, he's, I mean, he's very professional. He's like, Kim, do you mind if I put my hand under your kidney? Are you comfortable with that? I'm like, sure. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then I just lost it. And he goes, okay. And he knew right away. Yeah. He goes, have you had trauma? I said, yes. He goes, okay. He goes, and, yeah. and so, you know, I probably should have prefaced that when I first saw him, but I, I didn't anticipate getting all worked up and very emotional. You didn't think, so. Yeah. You didn't think you were going to have the reaction, you know? Because, no, cause I haven't had it's, a reaction it's, like that in, you know, 30 years. Yeah. yeah. It seems innocent. And yet for you, because you were still living that. So then tell us more about how he actually got took those next steps i mean you know you know what i got to stop right there yeah. i'm going to ask that question when we get back because i'm sitting here enjoying the conversation so much i've got to take a quick break here so what we're going to do is take this break but when we come back what i'm going to ask you kim to do please mm-hmm. is tell us more about the evolution of that work with with seth and how it actually helped you get to this next level i mean you're doing such a good job talking about this and it's such a personal matter and you both of you, you know, Rebecca and Kim are doing such a great job. So when we come back, we'll be interested to hear how he actually put that whole package together for you. And we'll be back in just a moment. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professionals. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSite for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot, they get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http 
greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, welcome back, folks. We're here with Kim and Rebecca Schaefer, and we're talking about trauma. And I don't need to remind you about that because it's pretty doggone evident. These two brave women are coming out here right on the airways and saying, look, here's what happened to me, and here's what I've done about it. It's going to bring some hope to people out there, and they're going to think about options that can help them get better wherever you happen to be. I mean, you know, we're people are listening to us in Brazil and China. So, you know, this is, this is a very, it's a privilege for me to be able to talk to you ladies about this situation. So let's now take it down a little more to where the rubber meets the road, Kim. And how did he help you take that experience? He recognized that you'd been traumatized. So he Mm -hmm. couldn't do the hands-on thing with you. Mm -hmm. So then he came back and he said, then what was the technique that he was using to help you free that, that locked in trauma that was in your body? Yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, it's all about breath work with him. So a lot of it, again, was about calming my nervous system. He would have me, like I spoke about earlier, with my feet elevated, like a tabletop position with the box underneath me. And he would just slowly have me, if I felt comfortable, closing my eyes and doing very slow pelvic tilts, exhaling through my mouth, doing a nice pelvic tilt, pushing my lower back into the table. And again, he would have me elevate my arms up over my head and do a big exhale, bring my arms slightly back behind me. It's just a lot of, again, there are a whole host of things, but a lot of it is all about my breathing and how my body responds to different type of movements. I can tell you it's, I still see him to this day. I saw him for a good six months and um, last year. And I love Uh, weightlifting. And I actually do that for a living as well. And so for me, my strength got so strong, the more I worked on my breath work. So, you know, my diaphragm was stronger, like my core was stronger, everything, my pelvis, everything felt amazing, just from doing that as well as just the mental state. And then I took some time off. And then I went back to him again. And I've been working with him for probably about three months now. And so what we do, you build what each session you build off of it. And again, depending on how heightened I come in. So sometimes I come into the session, I'm very heightened due to traffic or if I'm frustrated. So it takes a minute to calm my system down. And then lately, the last few sessions, he just asks me a lot, like, what's going in your body? What's going on in your body? What are you feeling? What's coming up? And one thing that was very, very interesting that I correlated two sessions ago is my relationship with food and how it plays in with my body. So oh, prime well, example. Tell us about that. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. So he, again, periodically asks me, okay, what are you feeling in your body when, when he does these certain movements with me? And now I feel a lot more comfortable with him putting his hand on my liver or my kidney or behind my head or on my temples. I feel much more comfortable with him doing that. And so he asked me to close my eyes and and do the breathing techniques that we work on. And I instantly, I got emotional and it was so bizarre. The first thing that came to my brain, I need a hamburger. And it was really interesting because I I have, have, yes, because I have a tendency for emotional eating and I've been able to regulate it more now because my awareness is much more heightened. But I've found that when I 
feel certain emotions or I have certain things come up in my mind, my body reacts in specific areas. So he's like, okay, Kim, with that anxiety, when you have that thought, where do you feel it in your body? And I'm like, my stomach or my thighs, or he goes, okay, you know, we'll talk through that. And then yeah, there's been a few times where I'm like, I'm instantly craving a cheeseburger or it's, it's very, it's so fascinating. And so then again, like the, our last session, now we're doing movement on the floor where you literally roll around almost like a baby. And so he has me doing these different movements where I flip to one side and flip to another and rock certain ways. And one thing that has been so amazing, and I can't even explain it, is my serotonin. Like I feel happy when I move these certain ways or I adjust my bodies these certain ways. He goes, yeah, Kim, it's totally normal. You're going to have a rise in your serotonin and dopamine when you move your body these certain ways. And Last summer, when I was seeing him, he helped me get off three of my medications just with this movement because it stimulated some brain response that made me feel amazing when I was struggling coming off my medication. That is totally so amazing. Fascinating. I can't. We could call this the hamburger cure. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Oh, A we double. saw somebody. We got the hamburger cure. I can... The double mac, right? Yeah. Just don't mention Parker's name when you mention it. Okay. <laughs> So, so let me ask you this question, because I mean, this is a very useful conversation. I really appreciate your being so straightforward and, and really intimate in, in terms of revealing yourself about this. But what, when you had the hamburger thing, then you located, I'm just trying to get down a little more detail about it so people can understand, including myself. Did you have a site in your body, which was kind of locked? Like, yes. you know, whatever, your third rib or whatever. And, and then when you unlocked that, the burger left. It did. And the urge went away. And so one thing that we work on as well is learning to be okay, feeling uncomfortable. And so when I was in therapy, especially cognitive behavioral therapy or DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, they talk about riding the wave. So, you know, obviously your emotions is very heightened at the top of the wave and it subsides. So for me, in the past, I would engage in my in a behavior to soothe that emotion. So I would emotionally eat versus now I allow it to feel it in my body. And I explain to him where I'm feeling it and what comes up and to be okay sitting in that discomfort and then riding through it, having that thought of eating and then it subsides and just riding through it. So now when I'm on my own and I have those, those things come up, I'm much more comfortable and aware of where I'm feeling it in my body because I worked with him in that session versus now knowing, okay, yeah, I'm craving this or I'm having this impulse because of this other situation. I'm, I'm emotional about something or I wanting, I feel stuck and I need a sense of release. So that is, now just to take that a little bit further, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of zooming along with you. Do you then breathe it out when you said the wave thing? So you then recognize, I don't care where it is on your body, but let's just use it, you know, your shoulder, your right shoulder, for example. Mm -hmm. And you feel some tension there. Do you then breathe that free or how do you actually take that next, what does the next step involve is really what I'm asking you. Yeah, sure. So I'll do some breathing techniques and then he will actually have me do specific movements. Like one was where I would, ha and I know it's so bizarre, but one was where I 
would open and close my legs a certain way or I'd move my arms and my elbows a certain way. And I'm not sure why he had me do those specific movements, Mm -hmm. but those would help me release that urge. Another thing too, because of my trauma is I I struggle with boundaries sometimes. And I I feel like I'm a very sensitive person. So I take on a lot. So Mm -hmm. one thing we did this last session is he had me lie down and we were talking about just the work and everything and how I feel like I take on a lot of people's emotions. And he goes, all I want you to do is shut your eyes and gently pretend you're just pushing something away from you. So you're laying on your back and gently push, like you're literally pushing away all the energy. And I was doing that four or five times and it literally just disappeared. Like it made me happy. And I would, again, I would just I would love for him to come on here. He would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely have him come on. So that was the next question. You kind of preempted in a constructive way where I was going to go because I was wondering if he indeed dealt with any of the sexual abuse, which is where we started the conversation. So we we started with the sexual abuse, then the trauma, then recovery, and then we got into the the eating disorder portion of it, which is a, a manifestation of the trauma in certain respects. But I didn't know whether he actually got into or whether you got into in a cognitive way. Did, did any of that PTSD come up in the course of releasing somatic restrictions? It did, because what I noticed, and, and hopefully I'm going to answer this correctly, when I first went to him, the deep-seated thing that popped up was my abuse, and then it's kind of like peeling back an onion, so mm-hmm. every time I go, it doesn't take me immediately to my trauma anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, now we're working through, after we work through the trauma, and then it was, okay, you know, working through, let's say, just boundaries of life or working through my food addiction or Mm -hmm. so now I feel like I'm building up more resilience to Mm -hmm. handle stress because I felt my stress response was so low and I was having a ton of issues with my hormones and adrenals and just because my fight or flight I was it was constantly elevated and I could not calm myself down Mm -hmm. and so he has really taught me just to how to really regulate my nervous system and that Again, it's a, of course you want to have some stress, but you don't want it to be so stressful where you're constantly burned out. And so again, he has helped build that buffer so I can handle more stress without crashing and burning again. So the stress, I think at my very root was the trauma because I was Mm -hmm. instantaneously what my body and my mind went to. And then slowly but surely, it was just kind of peeling back the layers to now I lay on his table, we do stuff and I don't instantly go to my trauma. I might go to something that happened that day, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So you've really, in a way, and this is going to sound a little silly perhaps, but you've kind of somatically matured. Absolutely. So you had had an infantile somatic perception of the world. And not only did you have a growing mature woman view of the world, but your body came along with it, you know, so so your, your body matured in the process. And I'll give you a prime example of that. So I think for the longest time I was in a tunnel vision, very narrow minded thinking versus now my perception is so much more broad. I'm so much more aware where I can see and look at so many different things around me. And my brain is literally like awoken to so many other, other things that cognitively were never even there to begin with. And it's so wonderful to sit back and watch Kim evolve like this be where she is today, because I know how difficult 
her journey was. And I'm just, it warms my heart. I love you, Mama. <laughs> well, it's great to hear it from a mother, you know, because a mother knows that girl, you know, and she oh, yeah. saw what happened and she yeah. felt it in her own bones. And yeah. then you guys are getting, and there's this thing that I'm hearing from you, Kim, which I'm sure you're picking up, Rebecca, is the the synchronization, the internal mm -hmm. synchronization as opposed to brokenness. Right. So she's not broken and fragmented. You know, when she was talking about that, that single view, she's terrified, she's scared, she doesn't want to see the world. She just got this single view and she's internally broken. And then what she's doing is like, okay, I healed here and I healed here and I, then I got the hamburger cure. You know? <laughs> I love that. I love I that. Too. She's just working her way through the whole process until she's really synchronized on a completely different level. And I hope I, you know, guys didn't feel like I was trivializing at all, but I think it's, no, you had to no, go through those no, layers no. to get there where you are. It's just it's a terrific nice. report. I really appreciate you guys coming on and yeah. sharing a really challenging thing to talk about. Now you have your own podcast, Kim, or what's going on? Oh no, I don't have my own podcast. Maybe one day, but I'm a serial entrepreneur. So okay. I have my own business and I do, uh, my whole goal is helping women feel empowered and happy in their bodies without feeling the need to starve themselves or belittle themselves or make themselves small. My whole thing is about, yes, empowering women to help them gain confidence and, and tackle the world. So that's, so that's yeah. a great segue. So tell us how people can get a hold of you. You have a website? Yeah, I do. So thank you so much. So um, it's kimshaper.com. So it's K-I-M-S-C-H-A-P-E-R.com. And then I'm all over social media at Kim Shaper Fitness, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. And um, yeah, I, I have a ton of free programs online that women can do. And so yeah, you can find me anywhere. Fantastic. Well, you definitely have the gift of gab, girl. I'll tell you that. And, <laughs> and oh no, you. I hope that you know, no, that's, that's a good thing. You know, I'm just figuring out how to do Instagram a little bit. I, I don't really have time. <laughs> I know. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes. And so then, and we'll, we're going to uh, plug your book again, uh, you know, Rebecca and that, and we're going to have that in the show notes and you have, you know, the light in his soul lessons from my brother's schizophrenia. And then you have the documentary, you know, right. a, a sister's, sister's call. call. And that's, uh, that's available. That documentary is available at Amazon. Is it not? It is. It's a DVD. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good. So any, any other place, is, Rebecca, you'd want to have people come to connect with you? RebeccaShaper.com is my okay. website. They can go there. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Parker, for yes. having my daughter and I. And we just hope that we can open up awareness for other women, other mothers, other daughters to come forward and to have this type of very delicate conversation because it is very delicate. And with Kim and I, we have a very unique bonding situation right here. And I'm just very grateful for this opportunity and I greatly appreciate it. Me too. And Dr. Parker, yeah. if anyone ever has questions or they are struggling or they need to talk to someone, I mean, I know my mom will speak for herself too, but I'm here in any way that I can help. Please just, I would love to be a resource of any way that I yeah. can. And that goes for me too. And uh, we do not sugarcoat anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. That's definitely, yeah, yes. you know, and you guys are so exemplary in terms of your relationship as a mother daughter and your maturity in dealing with these difficult issues. I think it's just fantastic. You know, so thank you so much again for coming on. If you have some other wrinkle of 
your own development that you guys would like to share, we will definitely do that. I am going to try to get a hold of uh, the gentleman, Seth, Seth Ober. Yes, yes. I'll get him on because it'd be fun to hear his report because it'd give us another dimension about what you guys were talking about. So, yeah. So you guys have a good evening. I appreciate you coming on. All right. We'll see you. Yeah, you too. Have a hamburger tonight. (laughs) I don't think I'll ever have a hamburger again. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.